When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 11, and we're recording on Tuesday, January 18th. 19th! Tuesday, January 19th is the date. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Welcome! What's up? It's cold. It is so cold. (laughs) It is ice cold, in fact. We're supposed to get eight inches of snow this weekend. I, some, my sister-in-law said it was supposed to be like 24 and I was like, that's not real. Is that's it? dumb. That's, that's dumb. stupid. But then my weather app says three to five. So who knows? Every time I complain about how cold it is, people on Twitter who live yeah. in like Maine and Vermont uh-huh. start sending me screenshots of their thermometers. And right. I'm like, look, I understand. But I live in the South. But right? I live here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah, I have nothing to complain about. It's New York. Like, what are you going to do? That's true. I like yeah. winter. I just like being inside for the yeah. whole of it. <clears throat> anyway. Yes. Um. So for those of you who are new and don't know how this podcast works, this is a personalized reading rec show. So you write in your reading recommendation requests or questions, and we will answer them on the show. So if you're looking for a book recommendation for you or a friend or a family member or for your book club, doesn't matter. You can send it on in. You can email it to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can go onto uh, Book Riot onto the website to the Get Booked section and at the bottom of every post there's a form where you can drop your question in. Or you can just send it to me on Twitter because I save those. So let's just jump in, yo. Let's do it. All right, question one. This is from Susan. My husband loves hard-boiled detective books. Some of his favorites include Richard Stark and Lawrence Block. He also enjoys Ken Bruin, James Lee Burke, Ed McBain, and Robert B. Parker, along with some of the more popular authors. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. All right, Jen, you go first here. All right. I also love me some hard-boiled detective books. (laughs) Um, And recently, I found one in a used bookstore that I'd never seen or heard of before and just fell in love. Um, The title is Hex. It's by Maggie Estep. And the premise is that the main character, Ruby Murphy, kind of does fit the, like, hard-boiled PI profile, except she's not a PI. Like, she's a recovering alcoholic. She works in a Coney Island museum and, like, (laughs) lives above a furniture store. And her life is kind of a shambles. And one day she's on the train, and the train gets stuck between uh, stations. And she starts talking to this woman next to her. And when the woman asks her what he does, what she does, she claims to be a PI. And the woman then tries to hire her to follow her boyfriend, who she thinks is, like, messing around. (laughs) And she, like, doesn't really have anything else to do, so she says she'll do it. Um, And she follows him to the Belmont tracks, the Belmont Raceway, where, um, like, for horse racing, actual horse racing, and uh, gets a job there to try to keep an eye on him. And it gets really dark and kind of seedy. um, And it's so good. And I think one of the things I love most about this book is it kind of flips some of the conventions of that genre on its head, while still, like, giving you all of the things that you want if you love hard-boiled books. So, yeah, highly recommend uh, the Ruby Murphy series by Maggie Estep. So I am not a hard-boiled detective reader, so I 
put this question up to some of the Book Riot contributors, and this is what they gave me. So the first suggestion was The Last Policeman by Ben H. Winters, and this is the first book in a series, and it's about a detective... Okay, so the premise here is that the, uh, this detective named Hank Palace is trying to solve a, a death by hanging. Everyone thinks it's a suicide. He thinks it's a murder. He's the only cop who's, like, trying to prove that this is a murder. And the reason why everyone thinks it's a suicide is because the world is ending in six months. There's a comet heading for Earth. Everyone knows there's no hope. Like, nothing's going to help save the planet. Everyone knows they're going to die in six months. And so, of course, suicides are rampant. The economy is spiraling out of control. Food is rotting in the fields. No one's, everyone's just like fleeing into churches and all this sort of thing. And so when they find a body of someone hanged to death, of course, the assumption is that they have committed suicide. There are dozens of these kind of suicides every week. And he's the only person who notices um, like suspicious stuff around it. And then the only person who cares because we're all going to die soon anyway. So what does it matter if there's, you know, a... Uh, a killer in our midst there's also a killer in the sky and it's headed right for us ah. <laughs> <laughs> i heard such good things about this book too yeah me too and i like that the uh it's a kind of twist on that like noirish um cop with a drinking problem kind of uh genre thing and it's pre-apocalyptic instead of post-apocalyptic which is also really neat and not a thing that i've seen done before so um yeah first in a trilogy so if your husband likes that one he can keep going with the rest of the series Nice. Um, my next pick is Book Group Approved. We read this form of the mystery book group that I'm in and actually Skyped with the author and it was super fun and everybody had a really good time reading the book. Uh, it's called The Vaults. It's by Toby Ball. Um, and it's the first in a series, so if he likes it, there's more. Um, and it takes place in a sort of alternate 1930s America uh, in a city that is just called The City. Um, and the premise is that there is this giant... Um, it's a giant archival center called the vaults. Um, and it has all of the municipal records for like 70 years. And the current administration is super corrupt. And the man working in the vaults, who's like this hermity archivist, um, discovers some discrepancies in the files. And then, uh, so he's one of the main characters. There's also an, an investigative journalist and a private eye who's like a socialist and also a blackmailer. Mm -hmm. um, and the three of them all kind of, you know, sort of come together over these discrepancies and things get like super crazy and intense. And there's like actual politic politics. Like it t deals a lot with sort of this like, upheaval of you know democracy versus socialism that is kind of historically accurate um but you know twisted in this really interesting way um, and then there's of course there is there's blackmail and lounge singers and <laughs> you know seedy politicians doing wrong and it's it's really fun and interesting yeah all right, so my next one is one that I'm, I'm actually really excited about. It's called Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Batacan. And this is the first, or widely regarded as the first Filipino crime novel, um, which is awesome. Yay, Filipinos. So it takes place in Manila, and the premise is that the eviscerated bodies of these young boys begin appearing in the dump heaps, which are in the northeast area of Manila. And they're, they're poor... And that area of Manila is already a slum. Um, the dumps are covered with, like, people scavenging. That's how they make their living. It's, like, the poorest neighborhood in one of the poorer cities. And the law enforcement um, in Manila is not great. And they're already stretched really thin. There's lots of corruption. They don't have a lot of these kinds of crimes. So there aren't a lot of forensic resources. And so no one is seeking justice for these boys who are found, you know, murdered 
in a dome. So yeah, and so it's like bad things happening to the kids. So if that's the thing you can't deal with, this is maybe not for you, but you know, warning. Um, so the, not PI, but the, the whatever, person solving the, co- the crime is actually a Catholic priest who is also a forensic anthropologist and one of the only ones in the Philippines. So the um, National Bureau of Investigation in the Philippines asks him to help back up the cops um, in general. And he, along with his protege, another um, Catholic priest who is a psychologist, they, they dedicate themselves to tracking down the killer who's preying on these boys in their, uh, what's the word? I'm not Catholic. Parish? A flock? Yeah. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, that it's two Catholic priests on the hunt for a brutal serial killer through the Manila slums. Um, and it's very noiry and just neat. You know, I mean, it's, um, you'll get all that hard-boiled detective stuff that you are used to in the genre, but in a, in a like, a new and interesting setting, which is rad, so, yeah. I'm adding that one to Mystery Book Club's list, actually. That sounds really good. Yeah, and the writer's a woman, which I think is great. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. You want to do our first sponsor? sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) It's Book Riot Live. Yes. Muppet Arms, all of the gesticulations. Um, (laughs) We are ready to announce the dates. So, Book Riot Live 2016 will be happening on November 12th and 13th. Uh, back at Metropolitan West in New York City, which is where we had the first one. Um, we, I have already started sending out asks for authors and hope to have some very exciting announcements soon. Um, we have all kinds of great ideas about programming. Um, we learned so much this first year and had such a good time with everybody. So uh, this year is like our second year. This year is going to be even bigger and better. Um, <laughs> of course, we will, you know, have some of the things that you loved again. But yes, we have exciting new ideas. Um, I just like, I like want to say them, but I can't say them oh, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we have so much time and I have so much planning to do, but um, it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited that we're ready to announce the dates, like mark those calendars. Oh, and tickets will go on sale March 22nd. So mark that too. So yes, November 12th and 13th are the dates of Book Riot Live 2016 and March 22nd is when tickets go on sale i'm so excited it was so much fun it was really the best i mean it was like exhausting it it was was it was i i like wanted to sleep for a solid week afterwards but it was like the best most awesome version of exhausting that i could come up with if you have not if you didn't go or want to learn more um on bookriotlive.com you can see a bunch in the news section which is really the only section up at the moment because we have to get some more details up um you can see roundups of people's responses. We got some great coverage in The Guardian and The Millions. Um, lots of people posted and, like, posted pictures about their experiences. So, yeah, there's lots more information where that came from. And there will be new details posted on the site as soon as we have them. And you can also sign up for the email list at bookriotlive.com to get, uh, you know, updates sent to your inbox so you don't have to check the site. Rad. And, man... I don't, I don't know if I've, I've never, like, said this out loud, but all the people who came to the first one, this thank you so much, because this yeah. is, like, why it's happening. Like, they're, your enthusiasm and your ability to take this total risk and jump into this thing that we, like, not that we had no idea what we were doing, but we've never done something like that before. And y'all's ability to, like, ride or die with us is why we can do it again. So if you came to the first one last year, hats off. Yes. You're rad. Yes. We're making We're Not Worthy arms at you. Totes. Totally. I really am, actually. <laughs> Another uh, instance of Amanda, they can't see you. 
Behind the curtain with Amanda Nelson. <laughs> All right, question two. Your turn. Two. I will read this. Okay. Right. I have a lot of sympathy with this question. So uh, this question is from Laura. Um, she is looking for cookbooks. She says, I'm a new wife, and I'm not really sure where to start when it comes to trying out cookbooks and new recipes. First of all, congratulations. Um, okay. My husband and I are tired of the same old things we've been making the past few months. We don't really have any specific diet restrictions. We don't eat much red meat, and we try to eat healthy, at least a little. Um, really appreciate any recommendations you or one of your experts can offer. So, Amanda, do you want to go first? Sure. You go All first. All right. I just now am noticing that she said healthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Which she is... said a little. A little okay. healthy. All right. Which is not a thing that I'm super concerned about so whatever i'm just going to tell you my two favorite cookbooks so the first one is the pioneer woman cooks uh by reed drummond and i think she's got a a show on some cooking show on wherever cooking shows happen the food network i don't know anyway but her cookbook is awesome and she her story is really funny she was like a city girl who uh fell in love with a cowboy like a, a literal cowboy like a rancher and got married and, like, moved out to his ranch in the middle of nowhere and had, like, five kids and cooks for them. And the food that she makes is amazing. All of my favorite recipes that I make over and over again all ended up being from the Pioneer Woman. And I didn't notice that was happening until, like, I made a menu for a holiday and was like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> all of this. Um, so <clears throat> the food is, is uh, how to describe, rustic. It's very, like, hearty, home cooking kind of fare. Um, but mo- most of it has a southwestern kind of uh, twist. So there's, uh, there's a little bit more spice than maybe you're necessary, necessarily used to. And her recipes range from super simple, like here's how to make the perfect pancake. Here's how to make a quiche, you know, or whatever. Uh, really great white chicken enchiladas um, to fancier stuff, osobuco or whatever, if you're having like a nicer kind of dinner. The desserts are amazing. Blackberry chip ice cream, so good. Um, Her apple dumplings are really good. Her Sunday stew is really good. Anyway, it's just a really great, it's a great cookbook for every day. And, you know, so many cook, I love cookbooks. It's like a thing that I have. But so many of them are, um, you know, you need fancy ingredients. You need fancy equipment. You need a special occasion or whatever. But these are recipes for people who just really like to eat tasty things that don't take a million years or a million dollars to to make. And if you've just gotten married, that's probably where you are, I assume. So that's where I was. That's where I still am. So yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's a good word. Um, yeah, I'm not much of a cook. I'm a way better baker than I am a cook. Um, but I will say that everything I've learned to do well, I learned from Mark Bittman. His How to Cook Everything cookbooks are fantastic. There is the How to Cook Everything just like straight up. There's a vegetarian version. Um, there's like tiny little mini versions. Uh, he is just so good at breaking everything down and not in like a condescending way, just in like, I hear the basics that you need to know to put food on your table. And they're in, they're like really hefty. Um, they don't have many pictures, but they're stuffed with information. And there's an amazing index in the back. That's like, like I have a bunch of sweet potatoes. What the hell do I do with them? Mm -hmm. Like you can look up sweet potato and see all of the recipes that have anything to do with sweet potato. Um, And I also really like how he'll give you a base recipe and then underneath it give you a bunch of interesting variations. So, like, there's ways to experiment once you've learned the base thing. So I I really cannot recommend his stuff enough. Like, you may be a better cook than I am and not need as much information, but there are so many recipes in there. I feel like there's something everybody could learn from. So, yes, Mark Bittman. I think that book is really handy for learning how to cook in season, which is something that I I wasn't raised doing. But, you know, you go to the grocery store or the farmer's market in, 
whatever july and you're overthrow you know like there's right. tomatoes everywhere for example and like i don't know how to cook with right like how many options do you have it turns out a right. lot yeah and it's yeah. so much cheaper to cook in season because everything is so inexpensive and whatever anyway yeah i second that is basically what i'm saying okay so my second pick is the barefoot contessa cookbook by ina garden of course she famously she is you know famous for her uh food network show um <clears throat> and her food network show gives her a bit of a reputation for like Oh, butter. No. Yeah, well, yes, butter. butter. Yes. But also, like, if you don't have extra virgin olive oil that was picked yesterday on a sunny field out of a west facing slope in the Italian countryside that you tread with your own bare feet and then bottled, store bought is fine. That kind of thing she has the reputation for. Um, ridic- like, demanding ridiculous quality of ingredients. But it's also a, a useful exercise in figuring out. Um, that the the stuff that you're using to make up your meals actually does matter. Like you can't just pick any old thing and and toss it into a pot and have it taste good. You know, even if you are following a recipe. So the recipes themselves are for basic stuff that you're probably familiar with, like meatloaf, tomato soup, you know, like grilled salmon, that kind of thing. But she, it's all home. It's all like home cooked. Not the ingredients aren't processed, and um, and they're all good ingredients. Um, so like the tomato, her tomato soup is made, you oven roast the tomatoes and then you have, you use fresh basil and all this stuff. And like the onion dip is actually made of caramelized onions that you caramelize for like hours. Wait, I'm sorry. It doesn't come out of a packet. Her onion dip does not come out of a packet. And there's, I mean, I love, right? Like love onion dip out of a packet. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're just learning how to cook, figuring out what, what, um, building blocks actually make those recipes is I think a useful and handy skill because then you can deconstruct it and take it and learn how to do it. Like if you know how to make this onion dip with the caramelized onions, then you kind of already know how to make French onion soup. You just toss in some beef broth and that's pretty much it. Um, so it, anyway, her cookbook is, it's not complicated, but it is more, it's a little bit more labor intensive, but you'll learn so much about like what goes into making food actually taste good. So nice. Yeah. Um, I have had, somebody made me her chicken and it's so good. Yeah, the, the um, anniversary chicken? Or the, wait, that? No, yeah, the, the anniversary chicken. Engagement chicken. chicken that's what engagement it. chicken. That's what it's called. Yes. <laughs> amazing. Um, okay. So my second pick for you is the Smitten Kitchen Cookbook by Deb Perlman. Um, I confess I have not cooked out of this cookbook. I have been cooked for out of this cookbook. <laughs> but the whole sort of premise of Smitten Kitchen, which started out as a blog, is that like she's not a caterer or a chef or restaurant owner. She like just cooks. She started out cooking in her tiny Manhattan kitchen, which I have a lot of sympathy for because I also have a t- tiny New York City area kitchen Um, and she like her goal was to find recipes that were really good but also like were doable with not a lot of time not a lot of money and not a lot of kitchen space Um, and I I can vouch for these recipes like the chocolate chip cookies oh my god and her spaghetti sauce recipe is unreal good unreal good um, and like somebody once made me a salad. I wish I could remember which one it was. I don't even really like salad. <laughs> salad was amazing. So I can vouch for having eaten from the Spitten Kitchen cookbook and like recommend it highly. I've cooked from her blog so many times. Yeah. So yeah. Good. If you want to like if you're nervous about buying the book because cookbooks are expensive. Like mm-hmm. I hear I hear that. Um, go to the blog. Try it out. I think you can do the same for Pioneer Woman. You right? can. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you, if you do that and you, I mean, like, okay, drop the healthy thing for like five minutes and make her orange vanilla monkey bread, which is the <laughs> thing that I make to make people love me. It, it always works. I want that now. <laughs> it is so good. Oh my gosh. I can't even, I gotta make it now. Okay, focus. Um, all, right. all right. So question three. 
Yes. I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Okay. This is from Kristen. I'm part of a book club that has two selections per month. Members can read one of the books or both. So I'm looking for a pair of books, one fiction, one nonfiction, that have a similar theme. We're pretty open to genre, though I personally would prefer not to have a war-based book, especially not one of the world wars. We've read too much of that lately. Nor a sports book. I personally love a bit of magic or magical realism, feminism, stories that involve a journey, and generational tales. Some recent faves are Middlesex, American Gods, Men Explain Things to Me, Signature of All Things, Boy Snowbird, Night Circus. Bonus if the audio version rocks. All right. I love this so much. It's such a great like, idea. I, if I weren't already in a thousand book clubs, <laughs> like I would start another one just so that we could do this. Yeah. This is fantastic. You go Kristen, first. I salute you. Wait, um, yeah, can you I go first? Yes, I'm, please do. I, I'm really excited. Okay. I, I really have fun answering this question. Um, <laughs> my first theme for you is rocks. Ta-da. Um, I don't know anything about the audiobooks of these, though. I apologize in advance for that. I have no idea. Um, but so, yes. So for my rocks theme, I have selected for you The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin and The Anthropology of Turquoise by Ellen Malloy. So The Fifth Season, you have probably heard me talk about it before. I'm obsessed with it. It is a book about a world in which giant geologic events happen regularly. Um, and it is a fantasy novel. There's uh, people who have special skills, um, earth-based magic skills in it. So, uh, and it's really dark and really twisty and the structure is really interesting and it's a great book club book because there is so much to talk about. Like, I don't even want to tell people too much about the plot because there's this moment where everything kind of twists um, and it's one of those things you don't want to give away in advance but makes for such good discussion afterwards. Um, but I, one of the most interesting things about it from a fantasy perspective is I did not think that I cared that much about rocks. And after I was done reading it, I cared a whole lot more and felt like I even knew some things. Um, <laughs> And then the anthropology of turquoise by Ellen Malloy is uh, the. She's an artist and a naturalist, the author. And so she decides to look at both the color and the gem itself um, from an anthropological perspective. So she talks about both the nature and the cultures that, um, you know, use turquoise, what it means to different people, what its history is, um, what, you know, what it's like to work with turquoise as a color. It's a really interesting sort of 360 look at this one thing. Um, and it was appealing. Pulitzer Prize finalist, so you know that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I highly recommend it. I read it a long time ago, and I've like kind of always had it in the back of my head since. All right, so my first pick for this, or I guess my first theme pick for this, was um, the Caribbean islands. And so my non-fiction, no wait, my fiction pick is *The Land of Love and Drowning* by Tiffany Unique, which is such a good, good book, and it's a multi-generational saga. A multi-generational magical realism saga. So I feel like this is right up your alley, Kristen. And it takes place in the Virgin Islands. It's centered around the transfer of the Virgin Islands from Danish to American um, rule. I was going to say overlordship, which is not whatever uh, rule. Uh, in the early 1900s, that's when it starts with the transfer of um, whatever ownership of the Virgin Islands. And then it follows um, three generations of a family from 1916 up into the 70s. And you said you like journeys. One of the characters tries to go on a journey to America. I'm not going to tell you which one. Um, but the it's two sisters and a half-brother. Their father is ugh, just one of the weirder characters I've read in fiction. But he has two families. Um, his main wife has the two daughters and then his whatever like side piece has um, <laughs> the half brother. I don't even know. Uh, and then you're following these kids from 1916 when they are 
you know, all very young up until they're in their, you know, well past adulthood. And it's got that Gabriel Garcia Marquez kind of feel. Um, Not that every magical realistic book has the Gabriel Garcia Marquez feel, but this one really does where it's just, um, you know, dropped in like, like nothing. And there are some, um, there's a trigger warning, I guess there's a little bit, not a little bit, there's sexual abuse in the book. Um, but I don't know that it's enough. It wasn't enough to put me off and I'm usually really sensitive to that kind of thing. So anyway, it's got a little bit of everything. There's like an exploration of the love between fathers and daughters and mothers and sons. There's a bunch of love affairs. Everybody cheats on everything. There's like curses and um, people who have random magical gifts and a lot of people die and there are a lot of people are born. It's just, you know, all the great things that you love about a multi-generational saga in a really awesome setting. Uh, so that's the non-fiction pick. And then the fiction... No, that's the fiction No, pick. that's the fiction. Thank you, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> I know the difference. It's not, like I do this. it's not like I do this for a living. Uh, and so my non-fiction pick is called Empire of Blue Water. It's by Stefan Talzi. And this is a, an exploration of the actual, the real Captain Morgan. Like, not the rum guy. But, oh. Well, yes, the rum guy, sort of. But um, the historical figure of Captain Morgan, who was a Welshman who in the 1700s in kind of, in what they said, quote unquote, service of England, uh, became a pirate. And in the Caribbean, he attacked the Spanish uh, Spanish fleet and, you know, did a lot of raids on Spanish towns and all of that. And it was, um, there's like, like scholars are divided about whether or not he was doing that out of like patriotism or whether he was doing that out of greed and, you know, like gold hunger or some combination of the two. So this is just an exploration of Captain Morgan and this ragtag army, or I guess Navy technically, that he put together of like runaway slaves and soldiers who were, you know, fleeing from uh, whatever army they no longer wanted to serve in and like cutthroats and all the great pirate, the actual pirates of the Caribbean. And he put all (laughs) these people together and then just like terrorized merchant ships coming out of Spain. And so that is a thing about that. That's like a point for him being actually doing this for patriotic reasons and not just for greed because he was only specifically attacking um, the Spanish. And then his, his famously, his last raid, which was um, in Panama was one of the reasons why Spain lost its hold on the Americas, ultimately. So it's short. For a history book, it's only like 300 pages, which I think is appropriately long for a book club. It's not really any longer than the Land of Love and Drowning. Um, And yeah, history. I like history. So that's my first one. I just have that image of Johnny Depp, like, yelling, but where has all the rum (laughs) Where has all the rum gone? Okay, my second theme for you is space. Um... (laughs) And my fiction pick for that is Radiance by Catherine Valenti, uh, which came out this past year, um, or I guess last year, because what year is it? It's 2016. Came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. And they, they have categorized, categorized it as a deco punk pulp sci-fi alt history space opera mystery. Wow. There's a lot of things going on in this book. <laughs> All the genres. All of the genres. It takes place in an alternate past in which all of the planets of the solar system are not only habitable but like have been colonized and um it's revolves around this family of filmmakers so the main character who's like kind of present and also kind of not present because she has disappeared um 
Severin, uh, her father is a famous director and she was in, she grew up on camera and um, decided to make her own documentaries. Um, and she went to all these different planets and filmed things there. And then, um, you know, she goes to make this documentary on Venus and she disappears and her crew kind of limps home and there's this missing colony. And it's like, it's very um, interesting because it combines all of these elements of like, actual like sort of you know history and film but then it's all sort of twisted around and there's it's 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 pretty interesting and there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot of alternating perspectives so there's like you know diary entries and film transcripts and gossip magazines and all this different stuff lots of lots of good book clubby stuff there and then for nonfiction, uh, Space Chronicles by Neil deGrasse Tyson, yes. which, yeah, which is all about um, the NASA program. So, like, we've kind of, you know, stopped having one. <laughs> um, I mean, we still have a space program, but there's not really astronauts going into, you know, different places. The exploration aspect has really sort of um, stopped or the manned exploration, right? We've got all of these little, you know, drones and satellites and things happening. But so he looks at the, the history of NASA, kind of what's going on right now and sort of tries to imagine what could be um, if NASA got more funding and more importance. And if we, you know, as a culture really valued space exploration more than we currently do. Um, and he's obviously the best. So, you know, and it's not long. It's like maybe, yeah, a little over 300 pages. Really interesting. Really good stuff. He is the best. I love him Kind so of much. right. He's the yeah, best. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So my second theme pick for you is Alaska. And the novel that I picked was The Snow Child by L- mm, Eowyn Ivy. I have said that out loud before. I don't know <laughs> if this happened. And this is based on a Russian um, folktale. Um, except she's, you know, moved it to Alaska in 1920. And it follows a couple named Jack and Mabel who were in their 50s. And they got married a little bit uh, when they were a little bit older than is like normal for that time period. They tried to have a family, but she had a miscarriage. Mabel had a miscarriage and they couldn't get pregnant again after that. And so they are, you know, childless. This is all that they ever really wanted from each other was children and a family. So they moved to Alaska uh, to try homesteading and to kind of get away from all their friends who were happily raising their families and to get away from you know, the place where they lost their child and their, their grief. And they're, they're hoping that this kind of work of trying to survive in the Alaskan wilderness will bring them together. And that doesn't really happen. He, uh, Jack, starts to really kind of crumble under the pressure of trying to keep them alive. You know, Alaska is not exactly an easy place to homestead. And Mabel is lonely. There's not a lot of people. There aren't a lot of women for her to associate with. Um, so it's just tough. And then they have a, a moment of kind of lightness and humor one night where they make a snow child, like a little snowman out of, you know, s the season's first big uh, blizzard. So they build a child out of the snow and they put clothes on it and all of that. And then the next morning when they wake up, their snow child is gone, but they start catching um, kind of glimpses of a young girl in the woods every now and then. And she always is accompanied by a red fox and she ingratiates herself into the world a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and then they start to basically adopt her and treat her as you know a child and they don't understand where she came from or how she could have just appeared or like you know you you vacillate between yes this child was turned into a human being out of snow through the sheer force of the will of our desires or like is she an orphan on the run uh, but there's a lot of magical realism here um uh the the girl the little girl her name is Fina or Fiana, I don't remember. Um, 
is able is able to do things in like survive in the Alaskan wilderness without any shoes, you know, kind of stuff that no real human child would ever be able to do. And then it's got an ending that I'm not going to get into because of spoilers, but it's so heartbreaking. And she writes it like a fairy tale. So it's, it's a really, it's a lovely, lovely read, especially for this time of year. Um, and then my nonfiction pick for this was Into the Wild by John Krakauer, which some people in your book club may have already read or seen the movie, but it's a, it's another survival in the Alaskan wilderness kind of story except it doesn't end well um, <laughs> and it's true so if you if you are unfamiliar with this, this is about a, a guy named christopher who in 1992 uh abandoned his car and burnt all of his cash and gave away all of his savings and basically just left his life just up and left his life abandoned all his relationships um to go into the alaskan wilderness and walk and you know whatever find himself and and find answers to all of these great universal questions and all of that and then his, when he left four months later his body was found by a party of moose hunters and nobody knows how he died though it's likely that it was you know starvation or exposure or something like that and so the thing that i like about this for a book club is that there are two basic camps uh that respond to christopher's whatever like adventure there are people who think it was very brave of him to abandon materialism and greed and you know uh the trappings of western culture and like go out and do the what's his name uh Thoreau. Yes, thank you. Go out and do the Thoreau thing. Um, and then there are the more pragmatic people, which is this is the kind of the camp that I fall into, where it's more like he ran away from all of his problems to go do a thing he hadn't really thought through, and then he paid the price for it. Which is not to say that he deserved to die at all. I'm just saying, like, whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm not, this is not a rose-colored glasses view of that situation, my personal view. Um, so there's a lot to talk about once you read the book with your book club, and I'm sure that there will be people on both sides of that, you know, discussion. People who think he was brave, people who think he was stupid, people who think he was both. That's possible. Yeah, yeah. totally possible. All right, so yeah. Okay, question four. <laughs> uh, hello? Uh, oh, this, is, this question is from Colleen. So Colleen says, I have so many questions, but I will focus on one theme. I started binge-watching The West Wing, and I am so hooked. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, I'm in love with Charlie and Josh and all of the sarcasm. This caused me to start watching Scandal, also excellent, <laughs> and any other political show I can get my hands on. So do you have any West Wingy book recommendations? This is such an interesting question. It is. And I don't really have answers for you. <laughs> um, but we did a post on the site. Jen does have answers for you, but I'm yes, just going yes. to drop this in the link here. Um, we did a post on the site. Our um, contributor, Claire, wrote a genre kryptonite post, which is like genres I can't get enough of about political campaign novels because of her love for the West Wing. Like she, this girl, she is into the West Wing. She moved from, <laughs> she's from the UK. She moved to D.C., uh, because mostly because she loves the West Wing and sh I think she she did like a book about the West Wing um, like a collection of essays from people whose lives were changed by the show anyway so she's got a post on the site and I'll drop the link in the show notes below of books to read if you love the West Wing uh, there's a YA novel um, about a girl who works on an election campaign there's uh, Kristen Gore Al Gore's daughter wrote a book about um, working for a senator it's a, a novel it's not and it's kind of like a romance. Um, so it's not nonfiction. Uh, and there's also a straight up like romantic erotica book called Party Lines about a Republican and a Democrat who are in an election year who are paid to battle each other, if that makes sense. And But they have lots of feelings for each other. And, you know, shenanigans ensue. Anyway, so I will drop the link to that and you can check those out. And now Jen will tell you about books she's actually read. 
Yeah, there's um, <laughs> there's actually a whole just to like go back to what you're talking about. There's a whole subgenre of romance that's like political romance. <laughs> I haven't read much of it, but I know it exists. Um, so if that sounds interesting to you, that exists. Um, okay, yes, I have two. I actually had like I had a hard time picking because um, there are a lot of really interesting political books out there. Um, but the two I picked, the first one is Primary Colors, supposedly by anonymous, <laughs> actually by Joe Klein. Um, <laughs> It is supposedly a novel, but it is clearly based on uh, Bill Clinton's election campaign. Um, and w- yeah, so he basically novel he worked on the campaign. This guy did, um, and they he basically novelized. Uh, his own story of, you know, so the plot of the novel, quote unquote novel, Mm -hmm. is um, a former congressional aide is part of the staff of um, a governor's uh, campaign. And he watches as the governor, like kind of, you know, shenanigans ensue in his not so above board campaign for the presidency. Um, So if you're looking for like a really behind the scenes insidery kind of book, um, that is a great one. It's a classic um, of the genre. It's been, yeah, out for long enough now that some of the sting perhaps has faded. Um, although I don't know. (laughs) It's really, anyway, so that's a good one. Um, and then my next pick for you is The Children of Men by P.D. James. If you have only seen the movie, the book is very different. I mean, the movie was good and it was interesting and I understand why they changed the things that they changed. But the movie is much more of an insidery political look than, uh, the, than the movie is. Yeah, the book is. Um, so the theory of, of The Children of Men is that it's a world um, where people have just not been able to have children for a really long time. Like there's, there, it's an aging population and no new children are coming in. Um, and so civilization has kind of gone off the rails. Um, and there's a man who is like a historian and he just kind of doesn't care. <laughs> he's very apathetic. Um, he just spends most of his time thinking about the past because he's a historian. That's what you do. Um, but his cousin is a highly placed political official in England. And he's approached by this woman who wants him to help her get in touch with his cousin. Um, and she is part of this band of, um, of revolutionaries. Um, and they may have found something that will help save the human race. So it's about um, their relationship. It's about um, the politics behind, like, how do you govern a population that has basically given up? Um, and it's England rather than the United States. I don't know if that will appeal to you as much, but it's a really interesting book. It's a really odd book. And the ending is just like, oh, it's such a politicky ending. Like, it's, I, I think it's really worth the read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, we're going to do our second sponsor really quickly, and that is the book riot store us again we're back yay Yay. um so the book riot store i love it so much is where we keep all of our like swag like our reader die hoodies um we have regular book riot zip up hoodies uh mugs all kinds of stuff t-shirts but the main thing that i wanted to tell you guys about is our um polka dot bundle (laughs) yeah puns puns um today is edgar Allan poe's birthday the day that we're recording um the 19th but is it really yes it is he would be 217 i think um whatever happy birthday poe yeah 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 i I feel weird i we put up content today like from the vault i went back and looked at back posts that we'd written about poe and put a couple up on facebook and like a commemoration of his birthday and it feels so weird to be like happy birthday 
tortured soul guy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's celebrate this guy who legit hated life. Totally. It feels very strange, but anyway. Um, so the Polka Dot Bundle is in celebration of Edgar Allan Poe, whose birthday is today, and the, it runs until, I think, the 25th. And this is our Polka Dot song. And by Polka Dot, I mean, like, it's a pattern of Poe's face over and over. So Polka Dots. Uh, we have Edgar Allan Polka Dot socks. We have Polka Dot, the like, zipper pouch for pencils or loose change or whatever. And we have a really awesome um, Polka Dot gray tote bag, which I have and love. I also have the Polka Dot socks, because of course I do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you can get all three of those things for $30, and that ends on January 25th. So just go to store.bookrides.com to check it out. I will leave a link in the show notes below also to that. Oh, and I wanted to mention that our library card scarves, people were asking me about this, but our library card yeah. scarves are back in stock. We When they first came out, we sold out of all of the colors like within a few days, but we've got them back now, and they are it's exactly what it sounds like, a scarf with a library card printed on it and they're really cute they come in a lot of colors so we do have those again so if you didn't get them the first time around you can get it now okay moving on question five is it my turn it's your turn all right here we go this is from d hoping you can help out with some recommendations for my little cousin books or comics she turned eight in october and loves reading she's a very emotional child and is very much a nurturer caregiver um, she loves animals, gets easily distressed with upsetting stories. She cried for weeks about the bird smuggling industry after watching Rio. That's so sad. Um, she really enjoys adventure-themed books, but a lot of the books she reads are from secondhand stores, and therefore a lot of the main protagonists are boys. Her parents and I would like her to read some stories with female characters, or at least a fair mix. We live in a very multicultural and liberal city, so no issue with books being about different ethnicities or LGBT characters, etc. She's already exposed to this anyway. I recently introduced her to Coraline, which she enjoyed, but I'm falling a bit short as she's a little bit too young for Miss Marvel or anything else I can think of. I'm not sure I want to take the risk of Charlotte's Web yet. Well, she cried about Rio, probably not. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's from D. Uh, So why don't you go first? Okay, um, Amanda stole my first pick. So Sorry. She's gonna say that later. It's fine. It's fine. As long as somebody had it on there. Um, so my first pick is a comic. Um, it is the Hilda series by Luke Pearson. Uh, the first one is called Hilda Folk, all one word. Um, and Hilda is a really adorable little girl with blue hair and a little blue fox companion. And um, she lives in a very naturey setting. Um, and the first book is she's sitting in her tent um, listening to a thunderstorm and she hears the sound of a bell and she goes looking for the sound of the bell, which then leads her into an adventure and a magical, beautiful adventure. Um, I love this series. The art is gorgeous. They're really sweet um, and so naturey. There's like they just the whole thing basically takes place in natural settings and there's a bunch of them. So if she likes the first one, there's lots more. Um, and the other thing I love about recommending comics to that age group is then they kind of start drawing their own, which is a really good way to process feelings. So if she has a lot of feelings, creativity is a great outlet for that. So yes, um, that is my first pick. So my first pick is a comic. Uh, it's called Lumberjanes. It's by Noelle Stevenson. And it is so good. I can't. Oh, good. How am I going to like all good. contain myself? Uh, so it's about <laughs> five best friends, uh, Joe, April, Mal, Molly, and Ripley who are at summer camp together. And their summer camp adventures 
That's basically what, if she likes adventures, she would like this. Their Summer Camp Experience is a series of adventures with a supernatural bent. And there's like a mystery about what's actually going on in the woods around the summer camp that they need to solve. Um, and I've only read the first, I read it, I'm reading this in trade, so I've only read the first mm. volume. Is the second volume out yet? No. I don't think it is. There's the big hardcover, but I can't think if it has more than just the first trade has. Anyway, the first trade is out. Yeah, and so whatever, just start there. Um it's so great. I, I can't even, like, articulate. It's got, it's, like, punny. It's got lots of um, historical references to really great female whatever, like, scientists and athletes and historical figures that uh, your, what is it, your cousin? Is that who this is for? Yeah, um, that your cousin, you can talk to your cousin about or, like, go get other books about those people to teach her about those women. There's a lot of, like, avenues for further reading and exploration. The group of friends are are just like they love each other so deeply, and it's a great look at female friendship. Um, it's a really diverse uh, cast of characters, all sorts of body types and ethnicities, and yeah, it's just really, really great and perfect in every mm-hmm. way, and hilarious. What the job? Yes. <laughs> what the job? Friendship to the max. <laughs> so good. Okay, I will say also, I read that first trade to. I want to say they were six and four. Oh. And they lo- like they can't read yet, but they really loved it. Um, and they started like one of the four year old like kind of memorized Ripley's lines and would like say them when we were getting close to one of Ripley's lines. It was like the best thing ever. Um, so yes, it, it's good for young youngy kids. Uh, so my next pick is Zeta the Space Girl by Ben Hatkey, also a graphic novel series. Um, Zeta is a little girl. She and her best friend are kind of roaming around having adventures when they come across a giant like meteor falls from outer space and there's a giant button in sort of the wreckage. Um, Of course they push the button Mm -hmm. and find themselves on a different planet. Her best friend has disappeared. She has to go find him. There's these like giant weird aliens and crazy robots. And um, she ends up, you know, uh, finding herself in the role of the hero. Um, And she just has all of these great adventures um, they're super beautifully drawn. The characters are great. Um, Zeta is awesome. I, a good friend of mine from the bookstore, her little girl was Zeta for Halloween. Oh, it was dear. the cutest thing ever. Um, and Ben, Ben Hatke has daughters and I think it really, like you can tell, like mm. he's writing this for them. It's a really sweet, awesome series. And there are now, I think at least three graphic novels of these. So there's a lot more. My second one is also another graphic novel. It's called Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant. It's by Tony Cliff. Have you read this? I I have, yeah. Okay. I I love this so much. It's like yeah, super fun. Indiana Jonesy, but a girl and like the 13th century. I don't know. I don't know what time period it is. It doesn't I don't think it ever like specifies, but um it's about Delilah Dirk who is this adventurous kind of pirate thief ne'er-do-well sort of uh, woman who travels the world and picks has picked up all of these skills, mostly like how to pick locks and defend yourself and blow things up and steal things from evil people. She's very Robin Hoodish. Um, so she, this current adventure takes place in Constantinople. She is plotting to rob the Sultan, who is corrupt and horrible. Um, and she, in the process of doing this, befriends a what is it, like a guard or a soldier in the Sultan's army, who does not want to befriend her (laughs) like doesn't want to have really anything to do with he likes his very safe and comfortable life in Constantinople he doesn't want to go off and have all of these bizarre and death-defying and life-changing adventures with Delilah Dark but circumstances kind of force him to do it so he goes along with her in her flying boat because she has a flying boat which is so great um and they 
fight their way through the countryside, essentially, and go on one adventure after the other. And then eventually he comes around and realizes that this life with her, with his new friend is um, lots of fun and, you know, there are things to be learned and whatever. And the thing that I like about this is it flips that, usually it's a guy adventurer with a female sidekick who mm. wants to, like, ground him and settle <laughs> him down a little bit and save him from doing dangerous things so that her feelings are contained or whatever. But this is totally the opposite he is, like, safe and really into security and not wanting to, you know, get his head chopped off and all that stuff. And she's the one who's like, whatever, you know, don't be such a wuss, that kind of thing. And they're friends, which is really great. It's so rare to find, especially in, like, the middle grade kids YA sort of um, genre, well, not genres, but, like, categories. It's so rare to find, like, a guy and a girl who just have a completely platonic friendship, Um Maybe that's just rare in all of fiction. I don't know. Like, I can't think yeah. of anything else. But it's a really lovely example of uh, a platonic friendship based on just, like, respect and adventure and fun. Um, and, yeah, it's a great read for an eight-year-old, I think. Awesome. Um, my next pick is a middle-grade novel. Uh, the f- It's part of a series called The Very Nearly Honorable League of Pirates. <laughs> and the first one is called Magic Marks the Spot. They're by Caroline Carlson. Um, I love this book so much. So the main character, Hilary Westfield, has wanted to be a pirate forever. And she's been, like, training herself sort of on her own so she could tread water and tie knots. And she owns a sword. and But she's a girl. And this takes place in sort of a Victorian era England. So... Her father, who's an admiral, is like, absolutely not. You cannot be a pirate. You are going to finishing school Hmm. where you will learn to curtsy and which fork to use and blah, blah, blah. But Hillary is like, hell no. Hmm. I'm going to be a pirate. And she has a magical gargoyle friend. And so they they run away from finishing school and answer an advertisement for a pirate crew. And she, like, sort of sneaks her way onto this, you know, ship um, and is pursued by her governess. And there's a magical treasure and a big plot. And um, there's, you know, sort all sorts of swashbuckling and adventures and a really unexpected villain. Um, they are just so much fun. Um, and the thing I think I love most about this book in particular is that like there are also women who are more what you would call like proper women like the governess who follows her um onto the pirate ship and you see the you know upsides of that life too like Hillary wants nothing to do with it but it's not a complete rejection of like you know feminine ladies it's you get both you get a tomboy and you get like a lady who is a lady but also is a total badass Uh, (laughs) whoops sorry i mean those words are not used for the record (laughs) this is appropriate for children it (laughs) is age appropriate i don't know what reading level your cousin is at so it might be i mean it's 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 like 300 plus pages so you might have to read it with her but you know chapter by chapter i think it's it would be a good one all right, my last pick for this is The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making, uh, which is the, also by Catherine Valenti, who we've already talked about on the show. But whatever, she's awesome. Um, the whole series is great, the Fairyland so series. The, I think the fourth, the, either the fourth or the fifth book is about to come out this year. Um, so it follows a 12-year-old girl named September who lives in Omaha. Her father has gone off to war, and, you're, you know, it's like World War II, I think it's supposed to be. Um, and her mother is working to support the family while her father is gone. So September's pretty much just left to her own devices. She's kind of bored, whatever. She doesn't have a lot of friends. And then she's kidnapped by the Green Wind one day, who takes her on an adventure, um, telling her that her help is needed to save Fairyland. So he takes her into Fairyland, where she battles this Marquess, who has taken over 
and is kind of evil and and witchy and um, you know very like selfish and dicta- dictatorial or all that. And along the way, she makes a bunch of new friends, including a wyvern, which is like a dragonish sort of figure who's named after a library. Or wait, no, whose father is a library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's part library, part wyvern. He's yes. a wyvern. It's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I love that detail so much. <laughs> um, and a blue boy whose name is Saturday. She makes friends with. Um, and she just has all of these adventures in Fairyland. And the thing that I love about this book is that it doesn't talk down to kids. It's very age-appropriate for a child. Um, but it never... It, and if she liked Coraline, I think she will appreciate this, too. Because Coraline does the same thing, where um, the author never assumes that a kid is too dumb to understand a complicated or even potentially sort of dark concept. Um, but he, but it's worded, uh, Catherine Valenti writes all of these concepts and, like... Um, dangerous or risky situations or even like dark and maybe frightening situations in such a way that it's like it's it's comforting it's not like i don't think it's going to frighten a child but it it makes them think um i don't know how else to describe it really other than like it's not condescending she never condescends to her her readership which is really nice in a child's book um and september is just such a like a kick butt little girl and i love her so much and this is the book that i give i've given to all of my um like little my sisters-in-law and all of my female relatives under the age of 15 have eventually gotten this book for me um, <laughs> and I love it and I'm 31 and they've all loved it ages like seven on on up so yeah it's great totally all right cosign last question is it your it's I, me I, don't I, I can't remember whatever oh okay uh this is from crystal <laughs> whatever um All right, Crystal says, I am a 20-something lady professional feeling stuck and uninspired in my current job. I'm fishing for new opportunities, but in the meantime, meantime, I'd love to read anything with an awesome adventure. I find myself fantasizing about going on a grand quest often, and I'd love to know what your recommendations are to scratch this itch and get me through my workday. Nonfiction and fiction are both welcome. All right. Uh, Go, girl. Yeah, okay. So my first recommendation for you is On Such a Full Sea by Chiang Rai Li, which is a really amazing book. Um, it is in a future declining America. There's not exactly a dystopia. Like, I mean, things are working. They're just not great. Um, and there is there are sort of these walled in labor colonies. And then there are these walled in like mm-hmm. fancy people live there. So everybody's kind of separated by class and function and um and uh, it starts in a labor settlement called Beemore, which is clearly like a future Baltimore. Um, and there's a woman, a young woman named Fan, who is a, um, she works in the fish tanks, uh, which is like a main food and labor source. Um, and her boyfriend disappears. Um, and she is like, hell no, I'm going to find him. So she leaves the safety of her uh, town and goes into what they call the open counties where like there's not a lot of government and there's potentially terrible people who want to do terrible things to you. But she's determined to find him. Um, the One of the interesting things about this book is that it's told by her hometown in a collective voice. So they're kind of imagining what they think is happening to her on her adventures. It's a really interesting story. Is it story like a Greek t- chorus kind of Yeah, thing? kind of, exactly. Oh, cool. It's like a Greek chorus. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and Fan is such an amazing character. She, like, I don't think she's unbelievably resilient. She just, like, she's very determined, and this is what her determination looks like. And she has some really messed up adventures um, <laughs> that are really well-written. Um, 
and there's this ending that just is really, I mean, it, it, I, I think it's a great book that will both sort of take you out of your everyday life and also give you an interesting perspective on it. Okay, my first pick is Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, which is the first book in the Grisha trilogy, and this is a YA series. <clears throat> it, the, it takes place in a country called Ravka, which is very obviously based on like a Russia sort of area, and the country has been torn in half by what's called the Shadow Fold, which is a, a swath of darkness that you can't, you know, obviously it's dark, you can't see when you're inside it. It's full of all of these flesh-eating monsters who um, want to, well, eat you, and it causes a lot of problems, the presence of the fold, because people can't cross, um, they can't travel. The country's basically cut off from itself. And um, the army has to go through the fold to give, uh, what you call it, supplies, like take supplies and trade and all of this stuff. So the military does that, and it follows a girl named Alina, who is uh, in the army of Ravka and is going to cross the fold for the first time with her regiment. She's a very lowly, on the totem pole kind of nobody in the army. Nothing has ever really happened to her in her life. She's an orphan. Um, she's never really been good at anything or exceptional at anything. She's just living her life and she's got a best friend named Mal and they have joined the army together and they're just kind of doing the thing. They get into the fold and they are attacked by the monsters um, who live there and when her best friend is injured, Alana reveals this power where she can summon light, which is um, you know, of course the country has been waiting for what they call the sun summoner, a person who can fight the fold. And so she has, she's wrenched out of her life as a nobody in the army and taken to the royal court um, to the ruler of their country who's called the Darkling, who is a character that I am obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Darkling so much. Um, anyway. And she is trained to control her power and basically save her nation and her people and her friends. Um, and there's lots of twists. The writing is really beautiful. The setting is really cool. And it's very much so about this very normal girl who was not satisfied with her life, but didn't know how to do anything about it, experiencing a complete shift. Like, everything in her life changes. She goes on this huge adventure and has all this responsibility put on her shoulders and has to deal with, um, you know, like royalty that she never ever would have experienced in her life in any other way um so i think it's it's a nice escapist kind of read if you uh, want something you know fiction <laughs> where it, there's not you know like you're not gonna be gifted with magical powers when you're sitting at your job more than likely but it's nice to think about uh, and the characters are just amazing so that's my first one nice uh my second pick is the girl on the road by monica byrne um it has two narratives. So one of, and it, it is a, do I want to call it science fiction? I do want to call it science fiction. It takes place in the future. One of the narratives takes place in the future. Um, and Mumbai um, and Mina wakes up and um, she like, she wakes up one day. She's got what she thinks are five snake bites on her chest and she feels like she has to run away um, and uh, go to Ethiopia, which is where she was born. Um, and there, she's like not actually allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so she kind of has to go off the grid. Um, and there's some really cool tech in this book. Like there's this big energy harvesting bridge across the Arabian Sea that like, it like turns the movement of the waves into energy, but like, and you can try to travel it, but it's like really, really long. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly like an easy endeavor. So it's a big epic like quest. Um, and what she's hoping, she's hoping to find out the answers to some questions that she has um, when she gets there. And then 
there's a previous sort of mid between now and the future of Mina um, following a girl named Mariama who is sort of on the run from her hometown after a horrible incident that um, she, occurs to her mother. Um, so she joins up with this caravan, um, like Jeep caravan. And there's this woman she meets who she kind of attaches herself to and who becomes her mentor. Um, and uh, that woman is from Ethiopia. So she's telling her about her homeland and how things will be better there. And she wants her life to be better. And so she's following this woman's, um, she's following this woman back to her homeland. So they're coming from two different directions. They're moving through kind of the same world, but kind of not the same world. Um, and they're looking for answers about their lives and it is really stunningly done um i just thought this book was amazing okay my last pick for this is contents may have shifted by pam houston which is kind of an undefinable book it's it's a it's fiction ish it's fiction based on her exact experiences in her <laughs> life so novelly novel <laughs> kind of sort of yeah um anyway so the narrator is stuck in this dead-end relationship and she doesn't like her life so much so she just starts running she packs her bags and travels the world um and she goes to alaska to chill in the wilderness she goes to all these she goes to big cities to get lost um and quiet you know like the voices in her head about how unsatisfied she is with her life she goes to bhutan and the himalayas to watch a tibetan sky funeral which is you know in the himalayas they don't have any soil so they can't bury their dead so they feed them to the vultures which is like this amazing concept um and the way that she describes it is so beautiful but the point is that she's going on this adventure not necessarily out of like a spirit of adventure but more out of like i have to get away from my life which is not the way that it you know that i um hasn't turned out the way that i wanted it to be and the the writing is really really excellent uh, she's got a lot of really great secondary characters so, so several massage therapists who give her life advice throughout the cor- the course of the book which is really funny um it can border on a little bit of I say woo-woo, and I don't mean that, like, mean or anything. I just mean, like, she talks a lot about, like, Reiki and stuff that I tend to look at with a little bit of a skeptical eye, but it works for her, so awesome. So she does talk about, like, that kind of stuff, and um, eventually she finds a new romantic partner um, with a daughter. She gets some dogs and horses, and she ha- she learns to become satisfied with her life and um, realize that... The biggest adventure isn't necessarily getting on a plane and packing up everything you own and going to the Himalayas or running away to Paris or running away to wherever. You know, the biggest adventure of your life is whatever life you build for yourself at home, wherever that happens to be for you. So um, I read this book when I was feeling very restless in my life, and it was um, really kind of grounding, even though it's a book about a woman who stays in the air most of the time. Uh, But eventually... She comes down and that was just, it was really nice and lovely. And if you're having a difficult time with your, like, you're not happy in your job, you're feeling uninspired, you're feeling kind of stuck, this will give you the best of both worlds. You can, like, travel vicariously through her, which I can't afford to go to the Himalayas, so awesome. Um, But then you also get a really comforting feeling of, like, actually, maybe my life that I've built can be beautiful, even if it isn't what I expected or necessarily wanted when I started on this journey. So, So, yeah. yeah. Can I recommend one more? I just had this thought. Um, So, okay. There is this book called Treasure Island! Exclamation mark. Actually, it's got three um, by Sarah Levine. And it is about a college graduate who is like 
drifting through jobs. Like she has like the worst, dumbest jobs ever and she's not happy anywhere. And then she reads Treasure Island and she's like, oh my God, I need to like have a scheme or like go on an adventure. Like she's like, like literally like you're saying, like she's at her desk and she's like, I have to go on an adventure. I can't do this anymore. Um, so she re- she decides to live her life according to the core values of Treasure Island. <laughs> um, and And then, you know, like obviously like, her family is not on board with this plan. Um, and it's all about her like trying to navigate through our actual mundane world according to the, you know, pirate code, as it were. Pirate um, code. Amazing. Yeah. Really smart, really original and interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it would I think it would really tickle you. All right. Okay. That's our show. Woo-hoo! Now, I'm now I'm done for real. <laughs> All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoy the show, please go rate and review us on iTunes. It makes the show easier to find when people search for it. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson on Twitter, and Jen is at Jen IRL, two N's, J E N N I R L. And thank you to the sponsors, which were us. Don't forget to check out bookriotlive.com and join us in November and store.bookriot.com for our polka dot bundle until the 25th. And y'all have a good day. Indeed. Indeed.